Hey, so Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday, we were playing disc golf, and uh, uh, it was beautiful. It was up at Indian Hills Recreation Complex, we're on hole one, throwing over the water. Well, some of us were throwing over the water. And uh, uh, the, Lombani, you got over the, over the water, right? Yeah. And uh, so we were having fun and saw big gators. There's big gators there, but it was kind of a little cold front-ish, you know, and the sun was out. So those cold-blooded animals like to kind of make themselves visible. And so there's about an eight, nine-foot gator hanging out, another one swimming across. We could see gators. It was really, really kind of cool. And uh, we're, you know, we're, we're playing on land, and there they are over there. There was an unsunning on the back. And, you know, kept playing and kept an eye on the gators. Then we're on the last hole. It's a big par four that's like, I don't know, five, six hundred feet, something like that. And you got to go across water. You go all alongside the lake. And uh, I don't see uh, Ian. He's not here today, is he? Ian, Ian ended up throwing uh, his uh, two of them on, on that hole right into the, into the lake. They took off and boom. And right on the edge, so they're crawling in there, and they're disturbing the gators. That's what they're doing, because the gators are just trying to mind their own business, lay down there, and, and gator pops up and starts taking off. He throws another one, and then we got in there and pulled it out. I mean, come on, dude. It's a $13 piece of plastic. If it's there, you got to get it, right? <laughs> you know, gators are no gators. But anyways, so we see it, and Lombani, I was watching Lombani. He was like watching this gator, like, you know, really from us to you, Andy, he was just swimming about an eight, nine foot gator, about a nine, 10 foot gator, about a nine foot gator. And anyways, he's sitting there swimming and just watching him and he's taking off over that way. All of a sudden we're done. We're done with the last hole and we're up by my truck and our, our cars and we're like, uh, you know, talking about going to La Perla and all that spiritual stuff, right, Trent? And uh, we're hanging out. All of a sudden, down by hole two, which we could see is about maybe 150, 200 yards away, we see just commotion, splashing going on. And we can see a bird going up and coming back down again. They got long legs, right? So we're just imagining, you know, we're seeing this commotion. We're seeing a bird go bam, bam. And we're like, just like it's getting, you know, it was like, oh, you know, we were, we, we were just looking at it going, oh my goodness, there's some birds getting trashed by the gator. We saw the gator go over that way. Oh my goodness, it went down. It came up. He's, and, and we're all doing our commentary. It's got it by the leg, right? It's got it by the leg. It's, it's going to do the death roll now. Roar and drown it. But instead, this gator was like slamming it by the leg, back and forth, trying to knock it out. And we're just going, oh, oh my goodness. We got a story to tell. I said, wait a minute. Let me get my binoculars. And, and, and in my bag, I got, uh, you know, I got these little, uh, just some little, little binoculars. So I went and got my binoculars. And uh, I, did I mention that all of us, except for Labani had really old, and JJ had really old, l- old eyes? But so I get my binoculars, and I look to see where the gator's getting thra- thrashing the birds. I mean, we're just thinking there's carnage and there's feathers everywhere from what we could see 150, 200 yards out without binoculars. I get my binoculars. Oh, my goodness. There was no carnage. It was simply birds frolicking in the water. It was simply birds frolicking in the water. They were the ones jumping up and going, you know, and, and, and they were the ones doing all of that. 
And it was so anticlimactic. It was so much more fun thinking the other way, but like traumatic because we like, we like to exaggerate things, don't we? Don't we like excitement? We like all those things. And, and, and when we saw it, I was like, hey, guys. And I gave the binoculars, I think, to Trent. And Trent's like, oh, yeah, those are just birds frolicking. And then we're looking. And, and, but what we realized is like somebody said, that'll preach. And, you know, it will preach. Because we are trained to look for the spectacular, to look for the extraordinary, to look for... We make mountains out of molehills. Y'all ever hear that saying? How many of y'all old enough to hear that? You remember your mom saying, make, you make mountains out of molehills, man. Molehills are like this. This is where we had uh, manicured grass with, you know, grass... Uh, uh, companies to come and cut it and you know we used to have this ghetto old grass in florida there'd be molehills man and yeah you're making a giant mountain out of that and isn't that what we do so often something comes into our life and, and i mean you just you wake up and all of a sudden you hear something you see something you experience something and all of a sudden it's a gator that's got a hold of this bird and it's slamming it back and forth back and forth how many of y'all have ever done that with something in life every morning we do it don't we every day we do it and if you want more of it you can be like charlie and turn on the news dude they will take every bird you got and have a gator eating it and then slamming it back and forth no matter what news channel you look at listen to and if you listen to all of them dude oh my good flock of birds going down but in reality when I picked up binoculars and I saw reality, it was like, wow, we could have missed something actually pretty beautiful. These birds were frolic, frolicking, you know? And if I was a bird, chances are they were having fun. They were mating, I think. I don't know. I'm just saying. But, but it went from them being trashed to now doing something very beautiful. And the difference was reality. And that's what we've got to do with the experiences that come into our life. Somehow, if God would tell, if God would just give us some binoculars, I mean, we know what we see, don't we? We know what we experience. We know what we're hearing. We know all of that. If God would just hook us up with some binoculars, y'all, something that we could really just look at it and then fine tune it through study and focus it and really get it dialed in to see reality, then we wouldn't be so easily deceived. Wouldn't it be awesome if he gave us something like that? Kevin, did he give us something awesome like that? It's the Word of God. But you know what? Sometimes it's much more fun making mountains out of molehills. Sometimes it's much more exciting blowing something out of proportion instead of reaching down in our backpack and getting the Word of God to see what reality is. You understand the Bible is the only truth we have in this world. There is no other truth than the word of God. And he's got to give you the ability to believe that. And if that's the only truth you have, man, every time you see something, you should be looking through the binoculars of the word of God. Now, you know what happened? When I first looked at the binoculars, I picked them up, right? All right. And I picked them up and I did this. It was still almost as blurry as it was without them, right? What did I have to do with the binoculars? I had to dial them in and focus them. And I had to go back this way, go back this way until that focus was clear. So sometimes we're lucky enough to just pick up the word of God and go, oh, there's something there. There's something there. And we take it out of context. 
you got to know the Word of God better than you know anything else in this universe, and that's your focusing, so you can study the Word of God. See every, Don't just take one verse and say, oh, look, this is what God said here. No, you got to look at everything the Word of God says about it. I had a seminary professor back in the day said, you want to preach on that one verse? He said, you better understand that whole paragraph. You want to understand that paragraph? You better understand that whole chapter. You want to understand that whole chapter? You better understand that whole book. You want to understand that whole book? You better understand that testament. You want to understand that testament? You better understand the other testament. In other words, you need to know the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God. And you need to know it in context. And you have the author, if you're a born-again believer, the author the one who wrote it, the book signing club, the, the table where you can talk to the author. You're sitting right next to the author. The author lives inside of you, and you let the author guide you through the word of God. We've got to get this right because this world is becoming more and more and more deceptive. Marketing is getting better and better and better. So instead of something happening in your life and you seeing it being beautiful birds just fly frolicking. Whoa. If we were over on hole two and we just saw them frolicking, man, it would have been, dude, that's kind of cool. We would have probably, Lambani would have probably been imitating them, right? You know, we would have, but instead we sat 200 yards away in shock and awe, just imagining this gator, bam, bam. I still see it in my head. Don't tell me I didn't see it. God supersedes our experiences. You got to go to the Word of God to overcome the tests that God's giving you, which are the temptations the devil's giving you, and their opportunities to learn how to trust God more. And so today we are in Luke chapter four, is it? And uh, we are in Luke chapter four, and we come to the temptations of Christ. Christ just got baptized. Man, great victory. Father comes down and says, this is my son. Whatever he says, this is the right thing. This is it. Follow him. Listen to him. You know, anything he says is contrary to what any other religious people say. Listen to him instead. He's my son. I'm pleased with him. Go for it. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see the Holy Spirit of God lead Jesus out in the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. We'll see that here in Scripture, and that's where we're at now. But again... You can look at what's going on and you can see it with the naked eye or you can look at it through the lenses of the gospel, the lens of the word of God and see it from God's perspective. And guess what? Remember, Trent, I grabbed the, I grabbed the binoculars and, and all of a sudden I'm like, here, you look. Isn't that what we're supposed to do spiritually? Man, it's like I'm looking, I see it. Wait a minute. Hey, you look. And then somebody might have looked and said, well, I'm not real sure. You look again. And we took turns looking until we saw what reality really was. And that is what the word of God shows us is reality. I don't care what you experience. Your experiences go against the word of God. Your experiences are wrong. Your perception is wrong. You would not be the first one to be deceived by an illusionist. And there's no greater illusionist than Satan himself. His name is Deceiver. So what we need to do is we need to see the reality, the reality about temptations, the reality about tests. We need to know the reality of what God's word shows us so that when it comes, we at least have a framework that we can throw it in and then we can dig into God's word and figure out what it really is. And you know what I'm going to tell you? 
most, I'm not going to say most, every single thing you go through is ordained by God. It is the perfect situation for you. And the purpose according to the complete word of God, not some little passage you can pick out in this passage, in this passage, but the complete word of God, the purpose, as you've heard me say many times, is for God's glory and it's, and it's for your good. It's for you to become more like Christ. How many of y'all have arrived and you're just like Christ? Ben, you there yet? Kelly has been there yet. He is not there, right? All right, yeah. But So he needs situations, doesn't he? Ben, you need some more situations? No, yes, no. None of us want any more situations, do we? But God knows we need those situations where he tests us and makes us more like him and less like ourselves, like the flesh nature. He wants us to become more like him. And when all of a sudden, Kelly, Ben, all of a sudden becomes like God, woo, he does something. Who gets glory? Yeah, because you're like, dude, I know that isn't you. How long y'all been married? Yeah, she, she, all right, good. Close, he's close. You need to, you need, a little bit more. Hey, Ben, just stop right now. I'm just saying, all right. Yeah, so if he were to just miraculously had the right answer down to the hour, I mean, down to the minutes, tw- 23 hours, 23 hours, you would have been like, oh, God would have gotten glory, would he not? Yeah, and that's why God does things that way. So let's take a look at some facts we know from Jesus being tempted in the wilderness that translate into facts about our temptations or our tests. And that makes a difference on how you look at it, all right? So the first thing, and and Sherry, you asked me last week, uh, I'd mentioned this and you had your notes afterwards. Now, what is it that you said? And I want you to notice the proper grammar in English in all of this. God does the testing. Maybe it is, I don't know. God does the testing, y'all. God does the testing. The devil does the tempting. We do the trusting. Y'all help me out and say this with me. Just come on. I hate when people say, oh, say this in church. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say this. Well, I want you to do it because I don't want you to forget it, all right? All right, do me a favor so you're not seen up there. Close your eyes. All right, help me out. One, one, two, three. God does the? The devil does the? And we do the? Trusting. How many of y'all think you can remember that and share that with somebody? Y'all remember that and share that with somebody? Go ahead, take pictures of it. Sue, take a picture. Right up there, there it is. Then you won't ever forget it. Put that on your screen, right there, screenshot. So if we can remember this, man, we have a lot less anxiety in our life. If we do truly understand that everything comes into our life by God's design to make us more like him so he can get glory and we can get a victory and we get these Stephanos crowns. When you get the victory, who gets the credit, Bob? God gets the credit. Good. And, and, and so heaven is all rejoicing because angels are learning about God's grace through our life. And every time, Spencer, every time you do something really awesome, not only does Sam go, whoa, but God goes, the angels are going, holy smoke, literally holy smoke. They're like going, wow, this is awesome. And there's celebration in heaven about your victory. You can't take any credit. It's God's credit that gets it. And then one day, when we're in heaven, we're going to do nothing but celebrate these victories. Oh, my goodness, Kurt, one day he was at work, and this situation came up, and this one, and Kurt normally would have done this and this. Claudia, could you imagine some things Kurt would have done, you know? And, and all of a sudden, in heaven, you're like, whoa, I wish I'd have been there to see him, because it was totally different. It was what God led him to do. And, and Kurt's like, yes, 
It was God that had the victory, and we throw that Stephanos, that crown, that victory symbol down at Christ's feet. And all of heaven goes, what is heaven going to sound like when we throw it down, y'all? One, two, three, what? Woo! No, dude! We throw that victory down. Heaven's going to be, yeah! Woo! All right, you guys want to try one more time? One, two, three. Yeah! Seriously, can you imagine an eternity of, woo Yeah! Oh, Al, when he was in Haiti and Teresa tried to get him to do something different than he normally did, and he, he, she wasn't, you know, she had different ideas, and Al knew this was the only right way, but yet God, the Holy Spirit, was telling him, and he did it her way, which was his way. The whole world said, yeah, that's what heaven's going to be like, y'all. Dude, and, and so every victory... Every victory you have is celebrated because the angels are learning about God's grace from us right now. And grace is the only thing giving you the desire and ability to do the right thing. And if you missed that, go back and listen to all of the messages on Ephesians because that's where we learn that. It's there. And, and in Revelation on, and it, that we're studying on Monday nights, that's where we learned about the Stephanos. We learned about throwing down the crowns, man, throwing down the crowns and it being a continual celebration. So God does the testing. How many of y'all, all of a sudden, you have a rough time come in your life? Just rough time come in your life. Oh my goodness, this is horrible. God, take it. What do we say always, y'all? Oh God, take it away. God, take it away. Oh, I decree in the name of Jesus, get this out of here. And you know, God's like, no, dude, I'm giving this to you so you can succeed and become more like me and I get the glory. How many of y'all are guilty of having God take all the bad things away? That's your first prayer. Take it away. Take it away. I don't want nothing to do with it. And God said, yeah, that's why you're living this mundane level of mediocrity Christianity that you've had. Because you don't ever want to go through the fight. You don't ever want to go through the battle. You don't ever want to suffer. You know what we're going to see in this? We're going to see that God's plan is suffering then glory. The devil's plan is glory then suffering. Well, he didn't tell you that second part. We'll see that in here. But God puts us through everything so we can become more like him and he can get the glory. So when the tough things come, what are we supposed to say? Oh, no, or woohoo! James, give you a hint, James. James, the brother who? Brother Jesus. And he didn't believe till after the resurrection. He lived with Jesus the whole time and he still didn't. Oh, golly. He, Jesus, just go ahead. Just go ahead and do some miracle. Prove yourself. Do whatever. Jesus said, no, it isn't my time. And all, what did his brothers and sisters all say about him? You're a nut. You're a nut. You're a nut. And then after the resurrection, Jesus shows up and James says, what? Uh-oh. <laughs> he's like, oh. And now he's reminiscing about his whole life. And what's the very first thing he writes in the book of James? Count it all. What? Joy when you have diverse temptations or tests, when you have trials and Count it all joy. Jesus is your personal trainer. And you're out on the workout bench, and he's like, lift, oh, lift. And, and he's giving you the ability to lift and, and build your strength. That's what he tells us in James 1. It's for your endurance. It's for your strength so that one day you're strong, and this is nothing for you anymore. That's what James says. The theme runs through the entire word of God. So God does the testing. When you got junk coming into your life, do we say, oh, God, or oh, God? Which one are you going to say? 
Wait, all right, which one are you supposed to say? <laughs> Terry, which one are you supposed to say? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> but what do we say, Selma? Oh, God, here it goes again. Man, count it all joy, James said. And so God's doing the testing. Hey, uh, when God does the testing, uh, who is he? Te he's testing us. And, and who are the results for? Does God not already know the results of the test? Who's the one that doesn't know the results of the test? Yeah, the test is for you to see how much you truly do love God. Oh, I heard y'all worshiping. Oh, I love you, God. And, oh, this is awesome. You know, all these things. You know how you show God you love him? The only practical way we have to show God we love him is by our obedience to him in the middle of a test. You show me any other way you have to show God truly how you love him. In fact, in Hebrew, love and hate is not an emotion. It's a choice. When he says, I love those that, or those that love me, in Hebrew, that means those that chose me. Those that, uh, those that hate me, that means those that didn't choose. Uh, Terry's Bible, even uh, Wednesday night said reject. Those that reject me. Love and hate is not an emotional thing. It's a choice in the Hebrew language. And, and it is in any language in that. God does the testing, man. God is trying to let you know where you truly stand with him. Because y'all know y'all can talk a good talk. How many of y'all know you can talk a good talk, put on a good front and all that? And right in the middle of it. Is that not why God gives us snowbird traffic, Terry? I'm just saying. That is our biggest test every year. Snowbird. Some of y'all who just moved here, you're already like, oh, the snowbird traffic, man. It's like, y'all just got here, man. Wait till you get some experience under your belt here. But seriously, he gives you tests. So you can see where you truly are with him as far as wanting to do it his way or wanting to do it your way. But now the devil is the one who does the tempting. And he can't do anything unless God allows him to do it. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He is not omnipresent. He can't be anywhere. So when y'all say, oh, the devil's tempting me, I would not think so highly of yourself. He's the only one being. It's probably one of his demons. And in fact, it's probably not one of his demons. It's probably this world system, and it's your flesh that's just giving in, and you making bad decisions. You're blaming on the devil. If devil actually comes after you, dude, you must be awful special because there's only one of him, and he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And he is definitely not omnipotent. He does not have all power. In fact, to do anything, he's got to get permission from who, Bob? God. Yes, that's the answer. Steve, who's he got to get permission from? God. Yeah, you guys know the answer is God. Yes. So God does the testing. The devil does the tempting. And so the devil has to get permission to tempt you from God. Everything that comes in your life has got permission from God, according to the word of God in context. It's got permission from God to be there in your life. So if God's allowing you to go through it, who's going to give you the ability to get through it? God. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able. But with the temptation, he will make a way for you to escape. But you got to take whose way to escape? His way, God's way. You can't be digging your own rabbit hole out. You dig your own rabbit hole out, you're going to get buried in your rabbit hole. You're going to get deeper and deeper and deeper, like digging yourself out of a hole, a big old hole in the sand and a beat. 
MJ, you're, you're, you're 20 feet down in a hole and you got a shovel. What happens if you try to dig your way out? You just get deeper in. You ever done that in life? I don't know. I'm not telling you. You ever seen people do that? Not you, of course, but yeah, you got to take his way out. He promises there is one. So God does the testing. That's what he's doing, trying to show you where you are with him. The devil does attempting. He wants you to trust anybody but God. He wants you to trust yourself. He wants you to trust Bob and Ann. He wants you to, and they're inherently good people, but dude, I can't trust you. I got to trust God. And when you're following God, God uses you in that way. He wants us to, God wants us to trust him. The devil wants us to trust anybody but God. So God does a testing. Devil does a tempting. We do the what? We do the trusting, man. That's what we do. We trust God. That's what we do. So check this out. Oh, JJ, where are we at? Do I have more scripture here? We, Terry's like, we could just go right now. It's all good. No, <laughs> that was enough. <laughs> Y'all got enough to chew on, right? All right. So another fact we need to learn about temptation here is that there's only three ways that we can be tempted. Hey, by the way, last week, I, I had not even been up to preach at this point in time. Praise God. We had a lot of praises and stuff. But so we're already ahead one whole point from last week. All right. So anyways, there's only three ways we can be tempted. If I would have asked you guys last week, or whatever, how many ways can you be tempted? Oh, my goodness. I can be tempted by La Perla. I can be tempted by La Granja. I can be tempted by uh, wasabi. I can be tempted by all you can eat chicken at Sunny's. That's just the food. All right. I'm not even going with that, but honestly, there's only three ways we can be tempted, y'all. Three ways, and if you can narrow it down to these three ways, and this is not some like, ooh, magic potion, you know, or some great thing. It's right in the Word of God. If you can realize, if you can put every temptation into one of these three categories, and you know how to overcome each one of these, then you know what? There's no temptation taking you that God's not going to be able to get you out of. He's not, that God can't make a victory out of. He will make a victory out of all of them if we take his way out, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and many other scriptures, as you're going to see today. So if we can see there's only three ways, look at 1 John chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 15. Here's what John, the apostle John, he's in his 90s, didn't get a chance to write any books. You know, he got boiled. They tried to boil him in cooking oil. He's pastor at Ephesus and stuff. It didn't work. Sent him, sent him to Ephesus. Uh, uh, what was that island of Patmos? And he had a one-man worship service on a penal colony and wrote Revelation. God gave him a revelation. What a great thing. He wrote this little book about love, loving God. If anybody knew God, John knew God, and he's now in his 90s. How many of y'all have gotten wiser as you've gotten older, would you say? I didn't say a sharper memory. <laughs> I didn't say more agile, but do you think you've gotten wiser yeah, hopefully you have, all right? There's still hope for me. All right, look at what he says here. Do not love the world or the things in this world. In other words, don't fall in love with the stuff this world has to offer. He said, don't fall in love with those things. Don't love their things. Don't love its system. Why? He's going to tell us in the, not this next verse, but the verse after it, because it's all going to go away. It's all going to burn up. The world's not wrong about global warming. Their timing's a little off, but dude, Peter says it's all getting fried and it's going to be melted. And if you're in our Revelation Bible study, you'll see where Babylon, the system Babylon, 
that's got everybody drunk on stuff and possessions and sexual morality and money. It's going away. The religious Babylon's, all of it's going away. And one day Christ is going to have full reign on this planet. And I'll explain that in a little bit later. It is everything's under, God's, under God the Father's authority. But right now, this, the Bible does teach us this is Satan's world. Man gave it to him, dude. Hey, who did, in, in Genesis, when God made man, who did he give dominion of, who, who did he give to the world charge to? Who did he say, you take dominion over this world? You take care of all the planet. You take care of the animals. You take care of everything. Who did he give that charge to? Man. And then in the garden through Eve, who did man give charge to? The devil. That's how it works. God delegated authority to man and man gave it to the devil man aren't you ticked off that that happened but let me ask you a question how often do you do it every time we choose and again we're all guilty but every single time we choose to do it not god's way but satan's way we give him dominion we have kept satan in charge y'all god's ultimately in charge all right we know that and everything's going to go down in his time frame. But this world system, we are told, is Satan's world system. So if you play, try to play by the world's rules, it's not the same as God's rules. That's why you need to be born again and play by different rules and have supernatural power to do what God wants you to do. And God richly rewards that. But the wide way, the world's way, it's Satan's world, but not forever. And you can find out more about that by coming on our Monday Night Revelation Bible study if you would like. But it's Satan's world. So Satan created this world system, but you have a flesh that digs this world system. And that's what happens. If you're walking in the spirit, you cannot possibly fulfill the lust of the flesh. You got to be born again to do that. But if you're even born again and not walking in the spirit, Dude, you fulfill the lust of the flesh and all Satan's got to do is dangle the right bait in front of you and there you go. That's why we act. If you don't do anything, are you going to grow spiritually or are you going to grow carnally? You don't do anything, your flesh grows. You have to actively be seeking the word of God, seeking, the, seeking God himself, listening to the Holy Spirit, looking for his power through the power of prayer. And you've got to be in there to be able to grow spiritually. Whichever nature you feed, that's the one you're going to be like. Somebody described it once as two big old four-wheel drives, man. Y'all remember Bubba trucks? Anybody here have a Bubba truck? I don't have a Bubba truck. I just, I'm, I'm about due for new tires. Then I have a Bubba truck again. But I'm just saying, man, you put a snatch rope between two trucks back to back. And then which one is going to pull the other one? If everything is equal, which one's going to pull the other one? Hey, Jess, you know what I'm talking about. You grew up on the redneck side of town over there. In, in Martin County. Which one's going to win? The one you give what to? Gas. Yeah, you got one and you don't give it any gas, dude, and you got another one. You're going to yank that other one all over the place. If they both got gas, whichever one's stronger, you know, you, you're, whichever one you feed, whichever nature you feed is the one you're going to be like. The world feeds your flesh. God feeds your spirit. That's again why we've got to be eating soul food. You're going to see in this, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So he says, don't love the world or the things of the world. In other words, he's not saying don't dig surfing, don't do, don't, don't enjoy your cars, don't enjoy a house. Don't. He's not talking about that. In fact, we studied this in Ecclesiastes on Monday night, looking at the word vanity. You know what vanity is? Vanity is anything you have for the wrong reason. Anything you have that God doesn't want you to have. Anything that you have that even God wants you to have, but you're not using it for his glory. You see, everything we have is, is given to us. We're a manager, a steward of it. And one day we're going to be held accountable as to what we, how we used it for his glory. If you're using it for any other reason, it's vanity. JT, man, when you were a kid, I know that was a while ago, just because you told me, you're a spry. If y'all knew how old this dude was, you wouldn't even believe it, man. But when you were a kid, they had soap bubbles, right? You had soap bubbles? Yeah, soap bubbles, right? I, I, I know, yeah. Because they had them when I was a kid. All right, but soap bubbles. Did you ever blow soap bubbles? Did you ever blow them? Did, do you... Uh, is somebody going to participate? Who had soap bubbles? <laughs> Terry, uh, JT, and I just, did you ever blow soap bubbles? All right, yeah, for real, you're not just making this up for the illustration, because I got people who really did do it, all right? No, all right, all right, let me just go. How many of y'all blew soap bubbles when you were a kid, right? And what happens if I were to bring soap bubbles and blow them right now, what would Spencer be doing? What would Spencer be doing? Right here, I'm blowing him here. What would Spencer be doing? He'd be jumping out of his seat, looking to pop the... How many of y'all be right there with Spencer? Yeah, you can't resist the soap bubble. Yeah, and, and how many of y'all try to be... Cat- You're like, I'm going to pop them. I'm going to catch one. That's the prize. Anybody can pop one, dude, to catch one. That's a skill. How many of y'all ever caught a soap bubble? Oh, yeah, Sue, you're, you are probably the most awesome soap bubble catcher in the world. Oh, we got a professional soap bub. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If I would have just known, I could have let you demonstrate it in the service. But let's just imagine. <laughs> All right, so you, you go and you, you, you chase down the soap bubble with your nimble, you know, nimbleness. Uh, and, and, and you catch this soap bubble now, right? And, and when you catch it, you're gentle, Right? And you take it home and you put it in a little soap bubble cage and let it go and you nurture it with some glycerin. And how, I bet your oldest soap bubble, man, how old are you? You got some that are years old? What? No, 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 no. You got, you got some that you caught, right? And put in there and they didn't pop. And, and there they are and they nurtured them. Y'all ever nurture soap? How, how old your oldest soap bubble, y'all? Spencer, how old is your oldest soap bubble? No, not that old. How many of y'all would say, because as soon as you catch a soap bubble, what happens? It pops. That's what Solomon says about all the things you go for that aren't being used for God's glory. Everything you, you chase a dream, you chase a relationship, you chase a job. You chase a career, you chase a status, you chase this, you chase this, you chase this. It's a soap bubble. You catch it, it does what? It pops. Except the things you chase for God. And then those last for how long, Benjamin? Forever. That's what he said, invest in eternity, y'all. He said, don't love the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the Father, in the areas where you love the world, and meaning you're loving the world's stuff and not 
God, you're not using it for his glory. It's not for his purpose. And you don't know that it's brought. You just got it because you got it, man. He said, man, in those areas, the love of the father's not in you. The love of the father's in you when you're using it for his glory. And he gives us an example of what it is. Look what he says for all. All. What does all mean? Salma, your smart girl was all mean. Everything, anything excluded. No, look what he says. All that's in the world. Well, he evidently never had silly putty. No, he never had a Gumby. He didn't play with Legos. He, no, all, whatever your toys are, all, all that's in the world. And here he's, he's given us three things. And he says, this is all that is in the world. These are the three ways in which you can be tempted. Check this out. The King James uses the word lust instead of desires, if that makes more sense to you. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He said, they're not from the Father, but from this world. This is the way the world tempts you. Lust of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. Are there things that you have ever desired that you know God does not want you to have? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, all the time. That's what marketing is. Dude, remember that deodorant that we told you a year ago was awesome and it worked on everybody? It doesn't. We have better deodorant now. You've got to ditch all that deodorant and buy the new deodorant, the new improved deodorant. You know, same with our food, with everything, lust of the flesh. There's stuff God's word says, no, 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 and you know that. But you in your flesh are saying, yes, 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 yes. And then we come up with a comfortable form of Christianity. You hear that? A comfortable form of Christianity where we justify it. Because, oh, God loves me so much, man. No, in fact, what Satan says, I can't, God doesn't love you very much. He won't let you have that. No, there's a way. You got to do it God's way. Sex outside of marriage. Let's just go with that one. It's like my fire in a fireplace. How many of y'all got like fire in a fire pit or fireplace? Anybody have a fireplace besides me in South Florida? You got fireplace? Uh, yeah. Where, Sam, Rhonda, where do you guys like that fire in your fireplace? Where do you like the fire to be? Huh? Where do you like it to be? Oh, oh you got one of them gas ones. I'm talking about a real one, man. No. <laughs> but where do I want my fire to be, y'all? In the fireplace. If it all of a sudden, and it's awesome in the fireplace, it's way better than the one you have on your TV screen, I'll tell you that. And man, the smell, the warmth, the reality of it all, it's there, and, 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 and it's good. But what, ha hey Selma, what happens if all of a sudden I get some lumber from somewhere and it starts popping and it gets on my, the fire now is on my couch. It's, a, it's the same fire, but is it, is it just as good on my couch? Why? It's not in the right place. You see, God's got a place for everything. God's got a time for everything. God's got a way for everything. Well, who's he? Well, he's the one who made it. And he gets to determine how it works best. And so when I have a fire in my fireplace, dude, it's awesome. My wife loves it. We get cold fronts, dude. I will keep her in fire. That's one way I can show her I love her. I will keep fires going all day long for her. Even if I have to open the windows and turn the fan on and, and put the air conditioning on, I'll keep a fire for her. But man, as long as it's in the fireplace, it's good, dude. But once it starts popping out on my furniture, it starts getting on my rugs, it ain't good anymore, but it's the same fire. There's a place for everything. God gets to determine what that is. 
And so, man, he said, uh, the desires of the flesh. You have desires, but you've got to let God righteously fulfill those desires in his way and in his time. Otherwise, it's sin and it is destructive. Amen? The desires of the eyes. Oh, my goodness. How many of y'all spend hours on Amazon looking at stuff? Well, Terry, you're an eBay guy, right? Oh, oh Marketplace now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's good. It keeps you out of trouble while you're traveling. I get that. But how many of y'all would say that you look at stuff like you, you didn't even need it? And you look at it and you know everything about it. And now you're buying the very best one of those that you didn't need and know anything about before. Anybody? Only just me? <laughs> All right. I'm... But again, it goes way beyond that. There's so many things. You see something. This is what James even says. You see it. Now your lust take over. And now you sin. Lust of the eyes where we see something. And man, I can't believe God wouldn't want me to have that oh, maybe he does, and let me try to figure out a way for God to let me have that. And in other words, so we've got desire, our flesh wants something that we know is not, cannot be righteously fulfilled right now. Our eyes want something, and that grows. Does it not grow? I mean, a salesman, are there any salesmen in here? Yeah, Terry, you're a salesman, right? I mean, you got to show the customer the benefits of those big scissors that cut cars in half, and the cutters... I mean, if you could never show, hey, I got, I got like some big scissors. You want to buy them? No, dude. It's like, look at this. <sighs> you know? Oh, and their eyes are lusting. This junkyard did not need that at first. Well, they did, but they didn't know they needed it. All right? Again, yes. There's, uh, and, and yes, you are fulfilling a service. Who else could sell scissors that cut cars in half? That's awesome, man. Any of y'all need some? Go see Terry afterwards. But, <laughs> and it is a good thing, but... But seriously, lust of the eyes. If you don't look at it and keep looking at it and keep looking at it and keep looking at it, what do you do? you got to turn away before now it takes over and it becomes lust of the flesh. You justify anything. So desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes. Oh, the pride of life. The pride of life. You know what? What that is? Pride is when we take charge over God. When we take charge, we say, no, you know what, God? I know you don't really understand my industry, God. You don't really understand my business. You don't really understand my business, God. You don't understand this, God. God, I know what your word says, but here's some special circumstances. And, and, and you know what, God? I know better in this situation. Anybody here ever say they know better than God? Come on, you bunch of liars. Right now you're doing it. Yeah. You know better than God and you do it his way. That's, that's a pride of life. So he says, every way you can be tempted can be, can be boiled down to these three things. And look what he says, and then we'll be done with this little passage right here. JJ, this is not where, oh, uh, nope, I got one verse for, oh, here it is. Look at the verse 17. He says, the world, don't love the things of the world. It's all it has is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Man, he said, the world, this is why I don't want you to love it. It's passing away. Why would you invest in something that's going to spoil? It's passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides for how long? Forever. Again, I gave you the illustration one time. I came in and I said, oh, man, y'all help me tell my wife. I sold our house. I sold everything worth anything that we have. And I got some cash money. 
How many of y'all think it's a good idea so far? Yeah, yeah. Liquidate, dude. As long as I got a good investment, I have the best investment in the universe. Oh, you're not going to believe it. You would have never guessed it. I sold everything we had to be able to buy into this investment. You know what I bought? Hey, Steve, you know what I bought? I bought sour cream, yeah. I bought all the sour cream I could find in the universe that I could afford. Is that not an awesome investment? Wait a minute. Why? Dude, you know the tacos? Who likes tacos? Come on, man. You know the taco party? Sour cream. All the things we could do with sour cream. But what's the problem with investing in sour cream? Dude, before I even get a chance to use it all, right? That's what's going to happen. It's not a wise investment. And sour cream is anything that is not eternal that we invest in. Now, again, we invest in stuff because God tells us to invest in stuff, and we use a return on that investment for his kingdom. We invest for his kingdom. Everything we do, whatever you do, you do it wholeheartedly, and you do it for God because that's where the reward comes from. Seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. Again, don't think I'm up here telling you this because I do this all the time. Anybody know I'm not perfect? Honey, raise your hand back there instead of just smirking and red, going, whoa, 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 if they could just see him. Could have just seen him yesterday on the road. <laughs> you know, at Sonny's last week after dinner. <laughs> I mean, whatever. No, dude, I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar how to get a piece of bread. And this is the piece of bread I found right here, man. He's the bread of life. So I said, man, this world's passing away. It's sour cream. Don't invest in it. Invest in what he wants you to invest. Invest in eternity. Check this out. Adam and Eve failed. You remember the three ways attempted? Lust of, or desires of the what? Flesh. The desires of the? And the pride of? Yep. You choosing over God. Your eyes looking and looking and looking until you just got to have it, right? And something you think God, a loving God, should not deprive you of. Because your flesh needs it so bad. Watch this. Adam and Eve, super quick. And then we're going to get actually to the message we're preaching on today, maybe. Look at verse 6. So when the woman, oh, check this out. This is a tricky one because we've got a combo, a combo test here. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, what's that? I'd say less of, less of the flesh. She saw it was good for food. But you're right. She saw. Look how, look how Satan used she saw it and then determined from seeing it was good for food. Hey, can you really tell food is good by just looking at it? No, I'm I'm a foodaholic man, and uh, dude, I, some stuff that doesn't really look good, it really is good. And and how many of you ever bit into something that looked good and you're like, wished you had not bit into that? Like the next day or that night when you had food poisoning. I'm just saying. You didn't eat a rotten pile of food. So can you really look at it and tell that it's good for food? No, but that's what lust does. That's what desires do. Why should she have looked at it and saw it was good for food and said no? Why should she have said no? God told her, exactly. God told Adam, hey, you can have anything and everything, just don't eat off that. They knew they weren't supposed to, and she did it. That's why, because God said not because she had some analytical understanding on why they shouldn't eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God said no. So if you desire something physically that God said no, 
What's the answer? Duh. <laughs> How hard is that? Theoretically, <laughs> but practically speaking. So there it was, man. She saw it was good for food. And, it, and then look at this next one. It was a delight to the eyes. Which one's that? Desire of the eyes, lust of the eyes. In fact, she saw it, it looked like good food, and then she looked at it some more. Hey, if you know God doesn't want you to have it, what should you do? How about turn around? Is anybody going to avoid temptation by staring at it? <laughs> is, that a good, is that a good ploy? Is that a good way to avoid temptation? I know I'm picking on you a lot today. I'm giving so Sophie, you ever have temptations? Man, oh my goodness. You want to tell us about them? No, I'm just joking. But, dude, is staring at your temptation a good way to get away from it? Is it a good way to avoid it? In fact, it's the dumbest way, but yet we do it, don't we? Don't push that button. <laughs> don't push that button. <laughs> what button? That, I'm not going to push it. I'm going to push it. What are you going to do? You're going to push it, and you're going to hate yourself. Get away from it. Develop a lifestyle that takes you nowhere near that. Find something else to do and quit thinking about it. Quit looking at it. And you'll be so busy doing the right thing, you can't be doing the what? The wrong thing. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, which is pretty crazy, it was a delight to the eyes. And, ooh, here's the big one. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Isn't that what Satan said? You know, God doesn't want you to know what he knows. God doesn't want you to be like him. Why? God could have said, because you can't handle it. Hey, let me ask you a question. Before they ate off the tree of good knowledge of good and evil, everything they looked at was what? It was good, right? So by disobeying God, what did they gain? The ability to do what, Kurt? See what? Bad. Yeah. Before, they could look at everything and it was good, right? Now, by disobeying God, they gained the ability to see evil. How many of y'all are grateful for that? Because what, do we, what stands out more, Andy, evil or good? Would it not be good if you just couldn't see evil? Yeah. And, and they weren't capable of making the decision between the two. Man, what a foolish thing. But there it is. We fall in the same category. So it was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate it. Woo! She shouldn't have done it because why? God said no. Okay. Um, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, what should he have done when he already saw her eat the fruit? And she's like, oh, here, this is that fruit from the middle tree. Or, this is good, Adam. Hey, by the way, who did God give directions to, to to not do it? Adam. And he taught his wife, maybe not effectively. Regardless, he taught her. But God holds him highly accountable because he had direct revelation from God not to do it. So when he saw that his wife had done it, what would have been the worst thing he could do? Eat it. Because now he's even more guilty than her. Instead, he's supposed to wash her with the word of God. And he's supposed to say, no, honey, we shouldn't eat this. We shouldn't do this. She may not have been real happy. She may have been on her second or third piece of fruit by now. But as a man, he should have stood up and been a man of God. He said, no, God said, no, we can't. We can't do this. Repent, repent. Tell God you're sorry, man. Stop doing the wrong thing. Get, spit it out. Let's clean your teeth. Let's get it all, you know, let's talk to God. Say, God, I did this. I'm sorry. We'll never do this again. That's what a man would have done. 
a spiritual leader would have done. But what would most of us have done? Yeah, because you're scared of your wife. No, I'm just joking about it. <laughs> no. All of us, would it be? It doesn't take much. Oh, here, try this, honey. I, mean, I really don't. I don't really want to. God, the, oh, just come on, try it. All right, just a bite. Woo, this is good. Before you know it, you're knee deep, just like her and all of it. But God holds him accountable because that's where the revelation, the direct revelation came from. He should have been man enough to stand up to that. So she gave him some fruit, her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So check this out. When God, what made it all wrong? Why did they fail at lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? What did they blow off? God's word. I clearly told them, don't do this. But because of lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life, they did it. They blew off God's word. So if you want to fail in your tests and temptations, instead of getting what God wants you to get out of it, blow off God's word. But at least be honest about it. Say, no, God, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> you don't have the guts to say that, do you? If you're a believer, you don't. We just kind of ignore it and we just do it. Blow off God's word and you'll fail every time. I guarantee you. But look at this. Christ succeeded, we're going to see, super quick in all this. And so can we, if we truly know God's word, and I mean know it inside and out, not little bits and pieces, but we understand it. We read it. It's not hard to understand, especially when you have the author living inside of you. But the devil would like to keep us from it. He'd rather us binge on Netflix, on things that are really worthy of our time. And Facebook and Twitter and social media and gossip, whatever. He would rather us binge on these things. Can you imagine if you made that kind of investment in the Word of God? Well, the Word of God's boring. You haven't read it. You haven't read it. Dude, when you read it and you want to know what it says, there's no more exciting book in the world. Who would testify to that without lying? Good, thank you. Yeah, when you want it. But one evangelist said back in the day, a lot of folks don't seek God for the same reason a bank robber don't seek a cop. Because you don't want the word of God to change your life. Iniquity is changing God's word to fit your lifestyle. Being a biblicist is letting God's word change your lifestyle. Not changing, I mean, changing your life. To, hang on, let me get that straight. <laughs> I had a serious look on your face, and then I had a confused look. Like, what? Iniquity. The word iniquity, to pervert something. You know what it means? It means twisting God's word to fit your lifestyle instead of taking God's word and letting it change your lifestyle. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We read God's word, and out of faith and love, we obey him. We don't twist his word to fit our life. We twist our life to fit his word. There, that's what I was wanting to say right there. All right, y'all got that? Had to pull that mental wedgie out. All right, Christ succeeded so we can, if we truly know God's word and we're committed to obeying it, not just saying, yeah, I don't really like that one. I'm gonna obey all of this and I'm gonna focus on this so I don't have to think about that. Again, none of us are perfect. I mean, when we obey God's word, is he trying to make us better? Or is this like a horrible thing? He's trying to make us worse. No, when you obey his word, life is better. 
And that's what he says in his word about it. So when we're committed, we know his word, we're committed to obeying it, and we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to be born again so the Holy Spirit can interpret it. Holy Spirit can show you how to apply it. The carnal man, it's foolishness to them. You can't know this spiritual word of God that's alive and sharper than a two-edged sword unless you have God living inside of you. Amen? So you got to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we do it all through prayer. Remember when we were doing the armor of God? You know, let's just, hey, Charlie, can you stand up just for a second real quick? All right, cool, thank you. Let's pretend Charlie has the armor of God on. How many, all right, that shirt, man, those pants, all that. The armor of God, man. Y'all want a shirt? I, I like that shirt, man. And when you outgrow it, let me have it. I'll, no, I'm just joking with you. But, but when you put all that, did you sleep in those last night? No, you had to put them on, right? What did you use to put them on primarily? Your hands. Can you imagine trying to get dressed without your hands? Could you? I want you to do that. Like, let her video it. You trying to get dressed without using your hands, sliding into your pants and trying to use elbow. Can you imagine getting dressed without your hands? You used them. They were valuable. And they worked, obviously. Zippers up, shirts buttoned, shoes are tied. It's all good. Sit down. Thank you. Yeah, but literally, you got to use your hands. You know what your spiritual hands are? Prayer. That's your spiritual hands. You cannot read the Word of God without prayer. You cannot apply the Word of God without prayer. You can't understand it without prayer. You, man, you, you can't know what the Holy Spirit wants you to do without prayer. That's how He communicates with us. That's why in the book of Luke, we see Jesus praying more than any other book, showing us what the perfect man needs to do. So man, that Jesus succeeded. Look how he succeeded. And we'll fly through this real quick. Well, not real quick, but we'll fly through it. The desires of the flesh. Look at this. All right. Luke chapter four, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Hey, when you're full, Sam, man, the other day I went to Moonswiners, right? And when I left, I was what? I was full. You know why I was full? What did I drink? You remember? Root beer, dude. I drink water. I'm always good. Dude, I drank root beer. That junk bloats you up, man. Emily's looking at me like, you drank root beer? Oh, no. <laughs> We're going to have to clean your gut out now with this and this and that. No, I drank root beer, dude. I ate what I normally ate, and I usually go out, and I can still eat Joy's ice cream. Dude, when I left after drinking that, I was full. Hey, so what was I full of? root beer. <laughs> and was there any room for any? You're like, oh, how about some? There was room for nothing because I was full of root beer. So when you're full, there's no room for anything else. Jesus was full of what? The Holy Spirit. Again, there was no flesh. And again, you guys know Jesus as God could do anything, but Jesus as the humble son of man gave up the right to do whatever he wanted to do, and the Holy Spirit of God was the mediator between them. So as God, he couldn't sin, all right? Think about this. He couldn't sin because if, if he's God and he sinned, God is the perfect, righteous, sinless one, so he can't sin, all right? So it was impossible. God wouldn't be God if he could sin, and Jesus was God. So he couldn't sin. That's, that, that's out of there. But his temptations were even more real than ours. We get tempted, we get tempted, we get tempted. Hey, when, when does a devil stop tempting us? Usually. Uh, okay, when you die, no, we're going to go a little different on this. You got a particular temptation, all right? A temptation, and, and, and you, you're in that temptation. 
when you give into it. Exactly. When you give in. Isn't that why we give in a lot of times? Because the temptation gets so great. And we give in and it's over. Whew, the temptation. The consequences of sin are. Did Jesus ever give in? Think about the times you have worked out a temptation to full fruition. You've resisted the temptation and resisted it and resisted it, Charlie, until the devil left and fleed. That was a lot of work, wasn't it? Yeah, but you look at all the work you had to go through. That's why we give in, because it's easier. I'll just get him to quit. I'll do it. Jesus never gave in on any temptation. He had to stay totally connected to the Holy Spirit, and we have the same access as he had. So in this, all right, uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, could not have, as God could not, or as a son of man, could not afford not to be full of the Holy Spirit. What makes you think you can afford that? If that's what it took for God Almighty in the flesh to not sin, we need to do the same thing. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. And he, look at this, he was led by who to get tempted? Yeah, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, look at this, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was what? Hungry. Okay, so the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. That's going to mess some people's theology up, isn't it? You see, God likes tests. Because we have an opportunity during tests to show him how much we what? How much we love him if we choose his way. But if we succumb to defeat right away, oh, I'm being tempted again. Oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. You know, instead of looking at the temptation and looking at the enemy and looking at all that, who should you be looking at? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything you need will be added unto, unto you. And again, quit looking at the temptation. Look at God and, and, and look at the temptation through God. But the, the, but the Holy Spirit led Jesus out there to be tempted. He leads us into seasons of testing, and he leads us into seasons of resting. And we got to respond appropriately in each of those. And when they were in, so it says being tempted by the devil. Look at this. He was out there for how long? Being tempted by the devil. How many temptations were there, y'all? There were there's three types, but for 40 days. Dude, the first one, look at this. And he ate nothing, and when they were ended, he was what? He was hungry. Kurt, you're hungry now, aren't you, man? How many of y'all are hungry right now? You're saying, dude, it is 1119. <clears throat> you know they're going to be out of all the good chicken at that place by the time we get out of here, right? It's 1119, all right? Now, can you imagine day one? How many of y'all... Chris, would y'all been would you have been hungry on day one? Yeah, day one. JT? All right, so the first one, devil comes and says, Oh, if you're the son of God, turn that stones into bread. No, I'm good, I'm good. Day two, JT. Day two, if you're the son of God, you are the son of God, turn them stones into bread. Mm, no, I'm good. Oh, day three, man. You've been working hard on the construction field, Benjamin. Day three, you haven't eaten. Oh, hey, aren't you getting hungry? Hey, look at all these limestones here. Wouldn't that be good if that was some key lime pie right there? You know, turn it into some bread, some key lime pie. Day three, it's starting to sound a little better than day one, isn't it? How about, man, Charlie, 
I know you and key lime pie, bro. I've watched you pound some, bro, and, uh, and not even offer me a fork full, but that's okay. We'll get it one day. You remember that time you brought that big old key lime pie into Bible study? He's like, oh, this is from 12A Bowie. It's the most awesome key lime pie. And I'm going like salivating like Pavlov's dog, man. But that's all right. I vicariously ate it through you. But day four, day five, day six, man, you haven't eaten. What's happening? Hey, Charlie, you, you're getting hungry, aren't you? You want to eat? So do you see what's happening in 40 days that maybe you didn't think about? How the enemy keeps at it and at it and at it. And when do you resist him? Every time. Every time. And he may use the same ploy to resist him as the devil used to tempt him. So for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. When they were ended, he was hungry. Duh! He was hungry. All right, so look at this. Where do you think the devil's going to tempt him, y'all? Gary, where do you think he's going to tempt him? Hungry, right? Go tempt him with food. Devil said to him, if you are the son. Hey, let me ask you a question. In the, in the Greek, this really says, since you are the son of God. Hey, so what does Satan know about Jesus that modern theology is starting to try to take out and they want to take out? What, is, what did the devil just admit about Jesus, Sam? He's God. The devil knew he was God. Anybody who wants to tell you in the near future, Jesus is not God, and you mark my words, it's coming. You know how I know that? Because Scripture tells us it's coming. It's Scripture tells us it's coming. If they can reduce God to a man, then they can make him, or Jesus to a man, they can make him like anybody else, and we can have a one-world religion. We're not getting into that today. But if anybody comes to you and say, oh, Jesus is not God, take him right here and say, well, yeah, the devil said he was. The devil said he was. The devil said, if you're the son of God, since you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Gary, day 40, you have not eaten. You resisted the first 39 days, did good, man. But by 40, dude, what's he like if he hasn't eaten after 40 days? All right, let's just go with 40 hours. Hangry, yeah. But Jesus was filled with the Spirit, so he wasn't even hangry. You know, he knew what the word of God said. And he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8. And look what he said um, in this. He said, it is written in the word of God, man shall not live by bread alone. And Matthew 4, 4 completes this in there. And it says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what? If God wants me to eat some bread then God will let me, give me the ability to make these into bread. He'll tell me it's okay. Or God, dude, he can just serve up, you know, man, Publix. Y'all like Pub Subs? Pub Subs, man. Oh, how many of y'all like that bread with all the seeds and grain on it? How many of y'all, when y'all walk in for a Pub Sub and all they got's like white bread, you're just like, oh, dude. <laughs> man, but when they break out some new fresh bread, like, woo, man. Dude, if God wants that fresh bread right there, there it is. But until God says that that's what's going down, that's not what's going down. I don't care what your flesh wants. It's less of the flesh. If anybody, have you ever wanted anything more than Jesus probably wanted food at this point? No. But he said, man, what God wants me to have is more important than anything I want to have. And I'm not giving in to temptation. So he used the word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit through the power of prayer. And he used it in context. And you can go back and read Deuteronomy 8 and see the whole context of God feeding Israel in the wilderness. Sire the eyes. And the devil took him up. Oh, look at this, man. The devil took him up 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. Can you imagine? He looked and he saw the whole world, all the world's kingdoms. Is there a mountain? Is there any way the devil could have taken him and actually physically shown him? Was there a mountain he could have gone on to see all the world's kingdoms? No. Probably an illusion. (laughs) A delusion. And look at, who did he try this on? On the Son of God. So you're going to believe everything you see, y'all? Knowing the devil can do this, he took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. Boom! He didn't have to create a Hollywood set or anything. He just, boom, he showed it. So can you believe everything you see, Skylar? No. What do you have to take what you see and compare it against, y'all? The Word of God. That's the only truth that we have. He took Jesus up, showed him all of this, and look what he said. We're not going to get into this a whole lot here other than the point that we're trying to make on the temptation of the use of the word of God. He said, the devil said to you, I will give all this authority and glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. Hey, Al, what do you think about Satan saying all that? <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's offering Christ what Christ is going to go to the cross and get. And they can't be given. He can only do what God the Father allows him to do. That's Satan and Christ in this. And Satan's offering him something that he doesn't even have the authority to do. He, he has a little bit of authority, but he's always got to take a lie and add some truth into it. The, tr- the lie's always got to have a little bit of truth for you to buy it, doesn't it? The bait's always got to look a little bit like fish, or you ain't going for it, right? Saying, I'll give you all this authority and all this glory. Just don't go to the cross. You pick, you choose to do what you want to do right now. Look, you see it all. You can have it all. I'll give it to you. How audacious for him to do that. Is that a word? Audacious? How the audacity of him to do all that. Look what he said. He said, if you'll worship me, it'll all be yours. That's all the devil wanted was God to worship him. He knew he was God. He wanted him to worship him. I'll give it all to you if you just worship me. Does that sound like a good deal for Jesus? I mean, how about you? Has the devil ever showed you the whole world and you sold your soul for it? Has the devil ever showed you something that you know is not what God wants you to have and what God wants you to do, but you saw all the benefits of it? I mean, isn't that what he's going to do? He's not going to show you all the consequences. He's going to show you all the benefits of it. But you don't do it because why? God said... No. So Jesus, what do you think he said? He said it's written. Where did he get his where did he get his answer again? Where did he get the truth from being deceived from? Where did he get it? He got it from the word of God. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's out of Deuteronomy 6. He pulls it out of there and you can study that later today too Deuteronomy 6. But what I want you to see is he keeps going back even Though he got taken to a place and saw the deal of the century, just had to compromise a little bit. Just mm, 99% of what we're doing is what God wants. That 1% we're not, but it'll be okay. That compromise. He said, no, God's word said, no, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Last, the pride of life. Look at this. He took him to Jerusalem. He transported him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Again, I'll stand up on here on the pinnacle of the temple. Corner, the south corner of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. All the worshipers are there, and if you jump, 
and angels come and rescue you, they'll know you're the Messiah. Kevin, jump. He'll know they'll know you're the Messiah and you won't have to go to the cross. Again, don't miss this. Satan is always about glory now and suffering later. God is about suffering now and glory later. You check it out scripturally because theology is changing that too. So he says, he'll command angels concerning you. And he's misquoting. Jesus has fought him off with scripture. He's now misquoting Psalm 91, only given a little teeny piece of Psalm 91. Again, I've used this illustration before. Hey, you know what? Wherever, how about we all do this? Let's all do this. Raise your hand if you're going to do this after I tell you, all right? How many of y'all want to be a witness for Christ today? All right, good, good, good. Wherever you go to eat, before you go, go to one of the grocery stores and get a gallon of bleach, all right? You in so far, Chuck? Get a gallon of bleach, man. And then get on top of the table at whatever restaurant you're at and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to drink this gallon of bleach and nothing's going to happen to me. And when nothing happens, I want you to give your life to Jesus because you have proof now that he's in charge of everything. How many of y'all are in? Chuck, you still in? Come on. Anybody in? No. Man, but if I drink the gallon of bleach and I've done it in Jesus' name, doesn't God have to rescue me? Doesn't he have to bail me out? No, in fact, that's kind of tempting God, isn't it? Anytime we take scripture and we take it out of context, anytime we try to hold God to something he said, and it's not in context. And by the way, who are we to hold him to what he said? These are privileges and promises given to us. And and anytime we try to do that, it's tempting God. He may bail you out, and then he may take your butt home afterwards. Don't tempt God. He'll command his angels concerning you and guard you. That's what Satan said, misquoting scripture. On their hands, they'll bear you up, lest your foot dashes against the stone. And Jesus answered him, and he said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, your job's not to test God. One time in Scripture, he told us to. Y'all want to test God? Anybody want to test God? You want to throw your authority around? He said, do it with a tithe. <laughs> Go read in Malachi. He said, pour out your offering. Bring your offerings to the storehouse. Test me and prove me. That's the only time he ever said to test him and prove him. But who are we to test and prove God? He's God Almighty. In reverence, in love, in honor, and the privilege of having a relationship with him, we do what he says to do. Man, he said, don't you dare put the Lord your God to the test. That ain't your job. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. He doesn't need to be held hostage by his word by you. Oh, that means it's 1130. No. <laughs> We're almost done here. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him forever. Is that what your version says? Claudia, is that what your version says? He departed from him forever. When did, when did he, how long did he depart him? For an opportune time. In other words, Satan knew Jesus was on the word of God. He knows when you're on the word of God. He knows when you're full of the Holy Spirit. He knows when he's defeated. So what's he going to wait for? And what does an opportune time look like? An opportune time looks like when you decide you don't need him. Opportune time looks like when you take matters in your own hands. Opportune time looks like when you're, when you're not armored up with the armor of God, when you're not focused on him, when you're not 
uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the opportune time. And at that opportune time, the devil's coming in and he's going to test you or tempt you. But let that tempting remind you that it's nothing more than a test from God to get you back on track with him. That's what he's doing. God does a testing. Devil does a tempting. We do the trusting. There are only three ways we can be tempted. Desires of the, help me out. The desire of the, and the pride of. All right. Adam and Eve failed, but like Christ, we can succeed. If we truly know God's word, we become a student of his word. And by the way, if you have his word without his spirit, you get puffed up. I, I, I quoted this, and I think David Gusick or somebody had it. But if you have his spirit without the boundaries of his word, you get blown up. <laughs> but if you take the word of God with the spirit of God, you grow up. That's what happens. You truly know God's word, and you're committed to obeying it. And you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of prayer, you're going to succeed. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. Father... Thank you for showing this. Father, I hope, I hope everyone knows we're just all trying to help each other see life from your perspective. None of us have perfected this. None of us are, are even super good at this. But, man, we're just trying to become more like you through your grace and the faith you give us. Help us to see that each test is, is, is a situation that requires faith. You tell us in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please you. So we need you to give us those situations that require faith. Help us to recognize those and help us to implement that faith and please you. See, it's an opportunity to please you. It's an opportunity for us to show that we love you. And it's an opportunity for our life to be more successful because it is when we become more like you. In heaven, we're going to be just like you. It's going to be pretty cool. Never sin again. We look forward to that day but help us get closer as we walk through life today. I pray, Father, that there's somebody here that's never truly given their life to Christ. They'd realize they're at the mercy of the devil, that he's running this world system, and this world system is running our flesh. <laughs> they're so good at making us do whatever they want us to do, and all we can do is submit if we don't have Christ. But for those that don't have Christ, Father, I pray today you give them a desire and ability to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you, and just trust you, to trust you with it all. Help us do that. I pray for these things in Jesus' name.